Here we are in the early part of May, and markets are heading back toward their lows, if not exceeding their lows, from mid-March, when, when everybody agreed that we were in a banking crisis. Despite everything being said about how we've passed the banking crisis, how the risks to the economy are, as the Federal Reserve would tell us today, inflation, 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 markets aren't just disagreeing, they're disagreeing in a way we haven't seen since the depths of at least what we thought the depths of the banking crisis in March had been. Oil prices. Oil prices today are back below $70 a barrel and they're on their way to, toward reaching the same lows that they had been in mid-March. Even though in between now and then, OPEC announced production cuts that they're going to, this time they say, stick to them and make sure that supplies continue to be constrained. Yet the oil market doesn't seem to care. In fact, Despite tight supplies, despite pledges for lower production, the WTI futures curve is only a nickel into backwardation at the front end of the curve. It should be nowhere near contango. It shouldn't be flat at all. It should be incredibly steep if Jay Powell and everybody else was right about inflation. Financial markets, three months so for futures. That curve, of course, incredibly inverted. Massive hedging yesterday, big moves in the, in the futures there. And the curve today continues to press down and down and down at the bottom end of that inversion range, which says the market is pricing something that is not inflation risk. On the treasury curve, the two-year treasury is back toward 3.9% again. Now that's up and down, but 3.9% for the two-year treasury, that's nothing good. That's back into the same range as in March. The three-month, six-month bill spread has exploded to an inversion of over 20 basis points. That's not a good sign. Short run, even the treasury market is planning for, not debt ceiling, deflation. That's what unites all of these symptoms and signals. The sulfur curve, the treasury curve, the German bund curve, which is in the 220s again. Oil prices, commodity prices, they are all screaming the D word, deflation, deflation, deflation. And those are not really about rate cuts in the, in the context of treasury curves or German bond curves or SOFR futures curves. It's about the consequences and fallout from deflationary money, which is an interruption in the natural circulation or the necessary circulation of monetary resources throughout the global economy, which will, if left unchecked, that's what the markets are telling us, these deflationary monetary pressures are going to be left unchecked because of course they are. It's going to lead us to a deflationary economy, which isn't necessarily about falling prices. That's part of the problem we have too, is that we're, we're led to believe that, first of all, high interest rates are somehow tightening, where low interest rates are somehow stimulus, and that deflation is always about falling prices. When deflationary economy could exhibit the symptoms of falling prices. But more than not, more often than not, especially in the modern era, it's less about falling prices and more about falling employment. So the markets are all screaming, deflation, deflation, inflation, deflation. And today, of course, the Federal Reserve is hiking rates or going to talk about hiking rates, whether it does or not, I don't know. This is, I'm recording this before the Fed meeting. And honestly, as I said yesterday, I could not care less about the Fed's rate hikes because it no longer mattered. Not that it mattered as much as before, but it does not 
matter. The markets are screaming deflation, deflation, deflation. Interest rates want to go lower, not because they want the Fed to lower them, because of what lower rates actually mean. That's what we're going to go over today. The deflationary crisis that continues to develop all over the monetary system and the real economy. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you for very much for joining me. If you're interested, Eurodollar University memberships are available where we have background details. What is deflation? I did a video in their basic series where we went over our use of these definitions, what they actually mean in the Eurodollar University context, which I think is the most appropriate one because it aligns with reality, as we'll see in today's video. I also have memberships, uh, in addition to memberships, research subscriptions available, daily briefing I do in partnership with marketsinsiderpro.com, where we go over to the day's biggest macroeconomic developments and reports and evidence and data, as well as money and markets, what's going on important in any day in the curves in the monetary system, financial system. And of course, the daily deep dive analysis where we dive deep into all of these topics, what's going on, why it matters, and why it's likely to impact you in the future. Money, finance, economy, pretty much everything. All the information available, eurodollar.university. Back in May of 2013, Bill Gross, the well-known investor, head of investor for PIMCO, bond, they called him the bond king when um, he kind of soiled that reputation repeatedly. Uh, but essentially, Bill Gross, May 2013, the Federal Reserve, remember taper, all that stuff. It looked like the economy was about to take off. And so Bill Gross, as he did repeatedly throughout the post-crisis period, said bond yields are going to go, they're going to be set sky high. Not necessarily before the Fed, but for, before the Fed even gets to rate hikes, I mean, even before the Fed even gets to terminating QE at that time, he was expecting that bond yields would rise. Because, as the Wall Street Journal reported back in May 2013, rising yields are a good sign. The manager of the world's largest bond fund stressed that a bear market in bonds won't start until economic growth and inflation pick up, an arrangement that he doesn't expect to see immediately. So like the Federal Reserve, he was thinking ahead to 2014 and beyond, where inflation and growth would pick up, that would be picked up by the bond market and rates would eventually rise. And this is absolutely correct. Low rates are abnormal and they're not stimulus. They're the sign that the economy or the participants in the financial market look at the economy and see low growth, low inflation expectations. The only variable in that equation is what the Federal Reserve might do. But the Federal Reserve doesn't necessarily control interest rates outside of the short run and only in the short end of the curve. So the Fed may have some influence, but if the Fed's influence isn't, isn't perceived to be positive or effective, then longer term rates will not do the same thing that everybody expects. They won't be the same as the Federal Reserve. So everybody thought that the Federal Reserve was going to have to raise rates back in 2013 into 2014, but that bond bear route that Bill Gross was talking about, it only lasted for a couple months in 2013, the so-called taper tantrum, which was really a taper celebration because for a very brief moment, the bond market did see growth in inflation expectations before interruptions in the euro dollar system and a whole bunch of other things across the global economy convinced it that no, 
growth and inflation potential hadn't actually changed, and then bond yields, rather than rise, began to go back down again in 2014, 2015, into 2016. The yield curve flattened out. And then even as the Federal Reserve began hiking rates late 2015, and then again in picking them up 2016 and 2017, the bond market bond yields resisted the Fed's rate hikes. Because remember 2017, globally synchronized growth. The Fed said, okay, we didn't get it in 2014 and 2015. The economy didn't recover. Inflation didn't start as we thought it would, but here it comes. Now we're sure. Globally synchronized growth must mean something because we say it does. The, the unemployment rate is falling. The labor market is tight. We're going to hear about a labor shortage because we always hear about a labor shortage. And the bond market said no. So as the Fed hiked its short-term rates, that only flattened the yield curve. Nominal long-term rates rose, but they rose less than the Fed was, was pushing up short-term rates, which was the bond market fighting back against the Fed. Yes, it fights the Fed all the time because growth and inflation expectations did not pick up. They picked up in the Fed's models, but they did not pick up in actual market perception. And of course, the market proved to be correct, which only flummoxed the Federal Reserve repeatedly in 2018 because by June of 2018, the Eurodollar futures curve had already inverted and the Treasury curve was getting so flat that it was in danger of inverting. And in August of 2018, this flattening out of the yield curve, perplexing economists and policymakers alike, they wrote about it in the August 2018 minutes. What they said was, they suggested that policymakers should pay close attention to the slope of the yield curve in assessing the economic and policy outlook. That's some Federal Reserve officials. Other participants emphasized that inferring economic causality from statistical correlations was not appropriate. In other words, the yield curve flattening does correspond often, very often, with everything that we're talking about, low growth, low inflation expectations, and particularly where the Fed is trying to drive inflation expectations, especially in hiking rates. A number of global factors were seen as contributing to downward pressure on term premiums, including central bank asset purchase programs and the strong worldwide demand for safe assets. They go on to say in such an environment, an inversion of the yield curve might not have significance that the historical record would suggest, and that the signal from the yield curve needed to be considered in the context of other economic and financial indicators. So I talked about just recently, the Belgian, the paper from the Belgian Central Bank, which showed that every time we have yield curve inversion, everybody says this time is different, yet this time is never different. And in August of 2018, the Federal Reserve, amidst its rate hike pro program, amidst trying to convince everyone that inflation was the biggest risk to the economy, the yield curve was telling you that it wasn't because of the strong worldwide demand for safe assets. Now, why was the demand for safe assets so strong and so worldwide? That's the question that really needs to be answered, and it's one that officials never do. They try to avoid it. Ben Bernanke, quite famously in 2005, said it was a global savings glut, that baby boomers around the world saving for their retirement were, for some reason he couldn't explain, choosing to store those assets or the retirement savings in U.S. Treasury, safe and liquid U.S. dollar investments. And the fact is that 
if safety and liquidity are in high demand, as the Federal Reserve was actually admitting back in 2018 amidst its inflation hysteria, maybe that tells you something about at least perceptions of safety and liquidity and the perceptions of safety and liquidity from those who are closest to the monetary system and the real economy, as opposed to Federal Reserves and their ivory tower econometric models. The same would, I mean, 2019 would prove the markets were correct because even the Federal Reserve, though they wouldn't admit that there might have been a recession in 2019, they at least they at least they at least recognized that economic growth had fallen off so much that they needed to cut rates. So technically speaking, the the inversions in eurodollar futures as well as the treasury market, yes, they did it did lead to lower rates, but the question is why? Was it because the market was anticipating the Fed to cut rates? or was there more fundamental reasons behind it? Which is an enormously important question over, especially given what's happened over the last several years because bond yields have risen a little bit, long-term yields, and entirely because of the Fed again. Long-term rates are up only a sliver compared to short-term rates because the Fed has pushed short-term rates up, which the long end has, has resisted repeatedly to the point that inversions today are as bad as we have seen, or haven't, we haven't seen anything like this since the 70s and 80s. And as I, as I mentioned on a previous video not long ago, there's a world of difference with this level of inversion at low nominal rates compared to the same level of inversion way back in the 70s during the inflationary 70s when nominal rates are exceptionally high. And it starts with the interest rate fallacy because we get everything backward. We're told that low rates are stimulus and that high rates are somehow restrictive. But as Milton Friedman said in 1998, after the US experience during the Great Depression, after inflation and rising interest rates in the 70s and disinflation and falling interest rates in the 80s, I thought the fallacy of identifying tight money with higher interest rates and easy money with lower interest rates was dead. Apparently old fallacies never die because the media continues to depend upon the word of economists who like to believe that the Federal Reserve can control everything by raising interest rates and calling that tightening and lowering interest rates and calling it loosening, when as Friedman said, historical experience shows it's quite the opposite. This goes back to something that an economist named Newt Wicksell had talked about in 1906 and 1907. In his paper, The Influence of the Rate of Interest on Prices, he explained this process really well, starting with what he called the natural rate of interest, or what economists back then and still refer to today as the natural rate of interest. What he said was, the natural rate is never high or low in, its, in and of itself, but only in relation to the profit which people can make with the money in their hands. And this, of course, varies. In good times, when trade is brisk, the rate of profit is high, and what is of great consequence is generally expected to remain high. In periods of depression, it is low and is expected to remain low. Rates, the natural rate is low during depression, and it wants to remain low. And it gives you a really good example about what that means in terms of banks. When interest is low in proportion to the existing rate of profit, and if, as I take it, the prices thereby rise, then of course, trade will require more sovereigns and more banknotes, and therefore the sums lent will not all come back to the bank, but part of them will remain in the boxes and purses of the public. In consequence, 
The bank's reserves will melt away while the amount of their liabilities very likely has increased, which will force them to raise their rate of interest. In other words, as the economy is robust, there's more money out there in the economy than in the hands of the banks. But the banks need money in their reserves too, so they have to raise the level of interest to attract money from the nominal economy that is booming or inflationary to get it back into the banking system. And the opposite is true too. So that when storing money in banks goes, the, the desire to store money in banks goes way up, that means banks have a lot of cash in their vaults, a lot of cash in the reserves. The price of lending out a lot of cash means lots of competition for others with cash. Interest rates have to fall. So in an inflationary booming economy, rates want to go up, the natural rate as well as nominal rates. But that's not what we see. We see rates that are already low to begin with, they want to continue to go lower and lower. Demand for safety is high. Therefore, interest rates for the nominal economy isn't going to be high. That's what the markets are telling us, consistent with everything throughout history, practical experience. And it is directly opposite of what you hear in the market and what you're going to hear today from the lips of Jay Powell, which again brings us back to the, my major point. Who cares what the Federal Reserve does? Because the Federal Reserve is doing everything backward in trying to get you to think backward when once you start thinking right and forward, it all starts to make sense. And what the markets are screaming at is deflation, 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 consistent with historical experience and fundamental properties of actual basic economics. Oil prices down, curves are collapsing, all of this, more, uh, we're coming in on two months after a banking crisis that's been declared over. Whether it is or not almost doesn't matter either because maybe the damage has been done and the deflation already baked into the cake. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge thank you to Eurodollar University members as well as our research subscribers. And until next time, take care.